0: I got a a text earlier in this week uh, from Lynn Blackman, and he was kindly heckling me, saying that I I better be ready to to bring my A game. And he said, "Just you better be ready to worship." And I, I said, "I promise you, you're going to hear a better sermon than you ever hear coming from the pulpit." And he says, "Well, you you better bring it." And I said, I am certain it will be the best one that you've heard in a long time come from this pulpit. Uh, and so he said, well, I'm, I'm hoping it is. And I knew it would be. Uh, and, and so I do want to very humbly and with great honor be able to introduce uh, Antonor and his beautiful bride, Phyllis. She, she's back over here. Uh, they're missionaries in E2 Brazil. We've been supporting them. Uh, in fact, he just reminded me, or, or I didn't even know this, that, that the church here in Hobbes began supporting them 20 years ago this month. Um, and so, Phyllis, she was um, just out of high school then, um, Antinor was a little bit older, but even greater than who they are is, is who they represent. And we know that right here, right now, better than even Antonor being here, is that Jesus is here. And he is going to speak through Antinor, and we are excited about that. And so Antonor, if you don't mind, I want to ask if you'd come up here, and I want to offer a prayer that God will be glorified as, as he speaks through you. Father God, I thank you so much for this mighty man this godly man, but, but most importantly, he is a servant and a follower of yours. And so, Lord, I just pray that the master will speak through the servant today uh, as we all uh, long to hear the words that bring hope, that bring encouragement, uh, that bring faithfulness to a people who long to be your body here on this earth. Thank you so much. Uh, for this this godly man and his wife, I pray that you speak through him today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
1: Good morning, friends. Thank you so much for your hospitality, for the way you've received us all these all these years, um, and thank you, Doug. I don't I don't deserve all those kind words. <laughs> I mean, that's very humbling. Uh, as a matter of fact, every time I'm here and I have to preach in English. Remember, I was born in Brazil, I grew up in Sao Paulo, I speak Portuguese, but you're kind always. And, uh, and I do this every week, but in Portuguese. So uh, I generally invite my wife to sit right there on the first row in case I make a word up. She can always correct me. <laughs> if I miss something, she always looks at me. But she's been kidnapped, I guess, and she's right there. <laughs> it's so delightful to be here this morning with you. Last night we had a wonderful meeting with the missions committee and the elders. And thank you so much for your interest in 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 our efforts, in our work, in our mission work in Brazil. Um, that That is very encouraging to receive all the questions, to find out what's going on in our lives, with our family and the, the work and you know, other ministries that we have in Brazil. That's that's very kind of you. And, and thank you for your generosity and your support. It's been a great blessing and we love what we do and we're planning to stay there, of course, you know the rest of our days and and continue to be used by God and and, and bless people there in Brazil. Um so here we go, the text that I chose for today comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter six. <clears throat> and uh, and I think, you know, Mark chapter six is one of those defining moments in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's been rejected in his hometown. He calls the 12 Men, you know, the 12 disciples, he trains them, he prepares them, and he sends them out on a mission. Uh, John the Baptist is beheaded, and, and he is very sad. And uh, it's time for him to take some time off. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning with verse 30, uh, we have this story. Uh, the apostles came back from the mission. I don't know if you're able to read there. They come back from their mission and uh, they gather around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Jesus said to to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, this past Thursday we have a son who lives in in Fort Worth. Paul, his name is thirty-three years old, married to this beautiful young lady, Brooke. They've been married for almost twelve years now. So on Thursday we were spending the day there with them. And he said, Dad I'm going to go to the gym. Would you like to join me? I said, Sure. I mean no, it won't hurt. And besides it's New Year's and uh, so let, let's do that. And uh, so we got there and, uh, and the parking lot was packed. We walked into this place, a huge temple called LA Fitness. Uh, and the place was full. So I said, Paul, I don't think they have enough weight here for us, for the two of us with all these folks here. So I said, what's going on? Why are so many people? He said, dad, remember this is New Year's resolution, and this is the first week. So I said, oh, I got it. For a number of years, I had made my list also, at least I would say 30 years. And I would you know, have right there on the top, I'm gonna start going to the gym or back to the gym, I'm going to do my diet. I'm, I'm going to try to save some money this year or do something different, something new, or get to know a different place. Um, I guess, you know, you, you're kind of related to this, right? Some of us. New Year's resolution. That list. That works really well the first week. Maybe two weeks. Maybe the first month. Right? And... Well, I learned better. You know, just a few years ago, uh, I decided I'm not going to do this. This is very frustrating. I get frustrated, and, and I learned from my kids something new. And, you know, I was talking to Allie one day, and she said, Dad, instead of coming up with this list of New Year's resolution, why don't you just choose one word or just one concept and try to live that out, you know, during the New Year? And I said, "Wow, that sounds easier. That sounds brilliant. I'm going to do that." So I started doing that a few years ago, about four or five years ago. So this year, just you know, just a few weeks ago, I was visiting with a couple. I was dealing with a very sensitive and a delicate situation, and it wasn't an easy conversation. It was it was kind of tense and and. Uh, After the conversation was over, I went back home and I was thinking, man, what did I learn today from this conversation, from this talk? And, And the word compassion came to my heart. I need to learn to be more compassionate. Compassion is a big deal to God because he's a compassionate, God. He's a compassionate father. Uh, my story is a story of compassion. I'm the number five of six siblings. And when I was two years old, still living in Sao Paulo, this big city there in Brazil, my dad's boss came to, he, to him one day and he said, uh, José, you're, you're going to have to leave town. I have a moving van for you You pack your things, and tonight, in the middle of the night, you need to leave Sao Paulo. And I I already got you transferred to somewhere else, another place, 300 miles north of Sao Paulo, because the military is after you. Okay, we were going through kind of like a revolution there in Brazil. The military came into power, and my daddy was very much involved in politics. And because of that, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of time for my mom for the kids, so my mom felt abandoned, we felt very much neglected, he was an absent father. So in the middle of the night, when I was two years old, we fled, we left in the middle of the night, and got to a new place where we had no friends, you know, didn't have anything, a home, Uh, Mattresses were on the floor, you know, I've been, you know, my older brothers, you know, have told me, you know, the bits and pieces and the more, you know, the the details of the story, but uh, one day in this new place, my dad was going to his office in the morning, and he passed by a house, and he saw a blackboard on the porch, front porch of this house, and on this blackboard, there was a Bible verse written. And that intrigued him. And the next day, he went by the same place, same house, and he saw the same blackboard with a different Bible verse written. And he probably wondered I wonder if this is some kind of underground political group here. I'm going to stop. I'm going to ring the bell. I'm going to ask these folks what's going on here. He was a nominal Catholic. And to be a nominal Catholic meant nothing back then, you, you didn't have to go to the church. No, unless you wanted to baptize the little kid or maybe somebody died, they had a mass for that or, you know, a wedding. Uh, So he was mainly involved in his job and politics. And so the next day he decided to stop and he rang the bell and this man came out. It was a a missionary, Ivan Rude his name, who had left California to go down to Brazil to do church planting, to do mission work. So he asked this man, what's going on here? Why do you put a Bible verse you know, on, on the front porch of your house? He said, well, we have a small group here, and we get together once a week in the evening, and we study the Bible. If you're interested in, in coming and studying the Bible with us, you know, you're more than welcome. He said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So he went, and, and everybody had a Bible in his hand. He had never held a Bible. You know, you didn't have to, well, the priest did the mass in in Latin, and most of the time he had his back to the audience, so you didn't, they had all the answers, they, they knew it all. You didn't have to worry about, you know, carrying a Bible, knowing your Bible. So he was very pleased with that, and he started going back. That was in 1960, and in December of 1960, he was baptized. A few months later, my mom was baptized, and I had the privilege of growing up in the church. And my parents were some of the first converts of the Churches of Christ in Brazil. And he became a church planter there. And I followed his footsteps. I was seven, eight years old. He would take me to different places, different cities. And he would bring the lesson in somebody's uh, living uh, 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 living room. And, and I would pass the you know, the Lord's the tray of the Lord's Supper and unto the people there. So I had this privilege, this honor. Because that boss had compassion on him and said, You're gonna get in trouble here. They're going to kidnap you and they disappeared with a lot of people back then, said, You have a family, you need to take care of your family. Because that missionary Ivan Rude, you know, decided to leave his country here and go down ten thousand kilometers away. And there because of his compassion, moved by compassion, he was teaching the gospel to people there. And, and most of all because God had compassion on my father, on my mother, on my family, and I was blessed you know, because of that. So compassion is a big deal to God. And he calls us to be compassionate. So in 2020, I decided, Compassion is going to be my word. Compassion is going to be my theme. Compassion needs to be my life. I want people to know me for my compassion. I want my neighbors. I want the city there where we live, where we serve, and all the community there. I want to be known for my compassion. You know, when you look in the Bible, you see compassion, and we sing a lot about compassion today, about God's mercies and and all. Uh, as a matter of fact, the greatest act of compassion from God was to send Jesus to this world. And when you look in the Bible, you see compassion all over, from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And I like the story in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter thirty-three. Uh, Moses is down. He's having some hard days, like some of us have sometimes. Um, He just came down from the mountain. He had spent several weeks up there with the Lord. He brings the the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and he he sees what's going on with the, the people of God. They've gone into idolatry, and we know the story, right? He throws the tablets uh, at the foot of the mountain. He, you know, pieces flying all over. And he comes to God and he says, God, I can't do this. They're your people. If you don't go with me to lead these folks, you know, to this promised land that you're talking about, I'm not going. I can't handle this. And God said, I'm listening to you. I like you. You've found favor in my eyes. I'm going to go with you. And, and Moses says, okay, show me your glory then. Show me your glory. I wanna, in other words, I want to see you. Give me a proof of this. And God says, Moses, you can't see me and live. This is, no one can see me in my, in my power, in my glory, you know, in my fullness, you know, and, 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 and continue to live. But I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you. And we sing about that, right? I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to pass by you. You're going to see my back, okay? And this is exactly why, what happens. In Exodus chapter 32, the Lord you know, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, 34 verse 6, Exodus, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. To me this is simply amazing. The first word that comes out of God's mouth, of the Lord's mouth is exactly this word compassionate. I'm compassionate. And he wants us to be compassionate. Compassion is a big deal to God and compassionate. Compassion is not just a feeling. Compassion is not just an emotion that I have. It's an activity. It's something that I do for someone. Uh, in, in the book of James, chapter five, verse eleven, the Bible says, "The Lord is full of compassion and mercy." James five eleven, and we know the context there, don't we? Uh, don't we? Uh, James is talking about okay, you have to wait on the Lord be patient. He's faithful. He cares about you. He will take care of you because he's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. And he talks about the example of the farmer that has to wait and while he's waiting patiently, he doesn't go back inside and just crosses his arms and watches reruns you know, on TV. No, he's still actively involved in waiting for God's response. But he knows that God is full of compassion and mercy, that he will act You know, on his time. He talks about the example of the prophets. They preached, and and people sometimes just said, you know, forget you. No, we don't care about your message. We don't care about what you're saying. They actually stoned a lot of those prophets in the Old Testament. They killed them. They tried to get rid of them. But they still waited on God. They still, you know, believe that God's compassion is greater than all this. And and he talks, of course, about the example of Job, who suffered, didn't even know why. And he's asking God, why am I going through all this? And God is saying, you know, you will experience my compassion at the end of this. And James is saying, when you're going through a hard time, just learn to wait on God's compassion, because he's full of compassion and mercy. And when Jesus is teaching about compassion... To the Pharisees, the experts in the law and the the teachers of the law, he he tells them a story, a story of a father and two sons, the younger brother and the older brother. And he says, "You need to learn how to you know be compassionate like this father right here." The young son comes to him one day. He says, "We know the story, the prodigal son story." He says, "You know, father, I I want my independence. I." I want my part of my, my inheritance, just me my money and I'm, I'm going to go away. I'm, I'm gonna live my own life. I, I wanna take, care, like we say in Portuguese, I, I want to take care of my own nose, make my own decisions. If I make my mistakes, you know, it's, it's on me. And, and the father says, okay, here it is. And the Bible says that after a while he just leaves, he goes to this distant land and, and there he wastes all his money. And he's wasting his life away. A famine hits that place. He's starving to death. He finds a job on the field taking care of pigs. And and there he comes to his senses and he says, what am I doing here? The memory of his father's compassion at home brings him back to his senses. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back home. My father is full of compassion. He takes care of people. He provides for everyone, even the hired people there. So I'm going to go back to him and I'm going to say, Father, I messed things up. And compassion means when somebody messes up, when somebody just spoils the whole thing, you're still willing to receive him back. And this is exactly what happens in this story. The Bible says there in Luke chapter 15 that, you know, The man, this young man, the son, was still a long way off and his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then we know the rest of the story. Said, bring the best, the most beautiful robe, sandals, the ring, let's give a party. And the older brother didn't like this. The Bible says he was angry because he didn't feel compassion. He wasn't moved by compassion like that father was. Uh, I have a son. I just mentioned Paul. He's 33. And in the last few years, he's really struggled with his faith. He's been somewhat skeptical about church as an institution. And I remember until like Kind of recently, when I was very combative, I was always debating with him. And he's a very deep young man. He likes to talk theology. And I'm not that smart. I'm just rice and beans, just like the the, regular kind of guy. But I remember I tried to convince him. And instead of bringing my son closer to me, I was actually repelling him. And then this past year I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna start showing more compassion to my son and listening to him, trying to understand him, to bring him back to me. And you know, it's amazing the turnaround to see, you know, what's happening in his life now. And and this is what happens. This father in this story, filled with compassion, he goes and he throws himself on, on his son and his son is back home. Compassion. Compassion always has a price. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10? An expert in the law comes to Jesus. It seems like it's always the experts, right? They come to Jesus. And this guy says, basically, uh, what do I need to do to go to heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, And Jesus answers, you need to love God above everything else. All your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor. And this guy is clever. He's wanting a, a loophole. So he comes to Jesus and he says, okay, good answer. Uh, who's my neighbor? In other words, do I have to love everyone? And Jesus says, yes, you have to love everyone. But even if if, if I look at the person and, and I just see the bad and the ugly, yeah, you have to love your neighbor, everyone. Uh, if I see a different skin color, you have to love your neighbor. If I don't like what he wears, what he drives, where he lives, you know, and, and Jesus says, yeah, let me tell you a story. Maybe you get the point here. And he talks about the good Samaritan. And he's good, not because necessarily he looked good, but because he was good in God's presence. I think, you know, in our cultures, Sometimes we're, we're so consumed with looking good. We spend so much time in front of the mirror that we don't spend enough time in front of God saying, God, I don't want to just look good. I want to be good. And Jesus is talking about a man who's interested in being good, not just looking good. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and we know how much you know, the Jews and the Samaritan hated each other, right? Samaritan, this mixed race. You know the story of the Assyrians there that invaded the northern tribes and so forth. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, one day this Jew is down, marginalized, on the road. And we've been on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Phyllis and I have been there. And uh, a curvy place, you know. And um, said that guy was beaten down. He's bleeding. He's about to lose his life right there. You know, he was assaulted. And, and here comes a, a priest. The priest, I mean, from a distance says, ooh, I don't want to get involved. He avoided the situation. And then comes a Levite. And he looks at him and says, hmm, I'm in a hurry. And finally comes the third guy, the good Samaritan, the, the enemy, you know, the hated by the, the, this Jew. He decides to look. The Bible says, you know, in chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, that uh, the Samaritan came and he saw him and moved by compassion. Interesting that compassion always starts with our eyes. We need to see people in a different way. We need to see people like Jesus. He saw the hurting, he saw like this good Samaritan, he saw that this man was wounded on the road, left there to die, and he was moved by compassion. Instead of just seeing the bad and the ugly of people, we need to see the wounds, and and, and you, you look around, and you see people hurting all the time, very possibly sitting next to us a lot of times, they hide it well, or we're in a hurry. We don't spend enough time to find out what's going on in their lives. But people have wounds all over emotional wounds, spiritual wounds, you know, uh, a physical wounds sometimes. And this guy, the Good Samaritan, moved by compassion, the story says he, he stoops down, he takes care of those wounds, he puts the men on top of his animal, a little donkey there, walks to the inn. It takes money. Compassion, you know, requires sacrifice a lot of times. And he p- pays for the, the care of that man. He says, "I'll come back tomorrow, and if it, if I have to pay anything else, I'm I'm willing to to cover the cost." Compassion has a price, and this is you know what he does. This is the lesson that Jesus has for that man, the expert in the law. If. I don't think we have to go through a test to go to heaven but if we had to go through a test to enter heaven to enjoy eternity with God I think the only two questions that he would have for us would be did you love me above everything else your career your family even you know your your pleasure and and did you have compassion on people and Jesus teaching you know that man he's teaching us the most crucial hours of Jesus, crucial meaning cross here, you know, he's showing compassion to people. I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting, a lot of times I just, I'm just i just focused on me, my pain, my frustration, you know, my hurts, my wounds. And, and this is not with Jesus. This is not so with Jesus. He's looking at people and he's... He sees the thief next to him and he says, Today you'll be in paradise with me. And and he sees his mother there at the foot of the cross. He says, "Uh, John, you take care of her. And mother, John will be your son. And he looks at the crowds and the crowd there and they're making fun of him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Constantly showing compassion. In a very polarized world, full of tension, we hear this all the time, strifes in the homes, in the churches, the schools, among nations, we need to be a different kind of people. And in 2020, I've decided, I'm going to work on this. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like the characters of the, the stories that I just you know related to you this morning, because this is how God is. He's a compassionate God. And because of his compassion, I'm here today. My father, you know, met that man sixty years ago, and he was converted. He was baptized. And he blessed many people. He blessed my life immensely. And this is what I want to do. Instead of being out there just judging people, criticizing, and looking at things, trying to see things that really don't matter, uh, I need to see people like Jesus. See their needs, their hurts, and try to heal them. Try to bless them. Try to make a difference in 2020. And I hope that you have the same heart, that we continue to look at Jesus and learn from Jesus, always.